From WHQR Public Media, this is the Newsroom. I'm Ben Schachman. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, we're having three conversations with some of the new political leaders in New Hanover County. Now, later in the show, we'll be talking to Nevin Carr, who now heads the county's Republican Party. We'll talk about the sometimes disparate aspects of the party, its successes in 2022, both locally and statewide, and the challenges the GOP may face in the coming years. We'll also hear excerpts from our in-depth interview with the County Board of Commissioners new member, Dane Scalise, who was appointed after the tragic death of Deb Hayes. But first, Jill Hopman, who recently took the reins of the County Democratic Party on the heels of several tough defeats in the 2022 elections, including the race for school board. That's something Hopman hopes to turn around for the Democratic Party. She's a practicing immigration and human rights attorney who has been volunteering for Democratic candidates for nearly two decades. She grew up in Wilmington and recently moved back and became involved in the county party. Jill, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Really great to be here. So you are the recently elected chair of the New Hanover County Democratic Party. I want to start by asking you, how do you see your role in this position? I've talked to people who see this as, you know, strategist in chief, platform designer, head policy wonk. How do you see the role? I see it more as like team captain. I see the party as a very big team with very differing opinions. We come from different places, different races, genders. Some people believe in the designated hitter. Some people believe in the pitch clock. But we're all in one clubhouse and every single person wants Democrats to win. And I see it as my role to, A, inspire those troops, bring them together, engage in the community and win elections. So you are describing the big tent of yes. uh, Democrats, which is true at the national level, true at the local level. Is it possible to articulate what you think the New Hanover County Democrats stand for? I mean, I think that in terms of policy, I think that we stand for everything from women's rights to housing affordability to clean water and environmental protections to gun control. I also think that we stand for equity and fair opportunity for all, no matter race, creed, religion, socioeconomic status. And we are a big tent, and I'm proud of that big tent, that anybody can be a member of it. So the flip side of that is, and this is something I heard from sort of my, let's say, apolitical friends who don't follow politics as closely as someone who's in the party or a journalist. And I think some of them struggle to identify what the Democratic candidates, particularly in the school board, were running for, as opposed to, love it or hate it, the slate that the Republicans were running on. In all candor, do you think that's been a problem for the party in the past? I think what you said kind of hits on one of my main points, which is that the Democratic Party needs to run on issues, not individual candidates. Everything we've heard from voters is essentially they don't necessarily care about an individual who is running for office. They want to know what that person is going to do to affect their lives. And in the past, I think the party has been kind of hesitant to take firm stances on issues whether it is fear of insulting electeds, whether it is fear of turning off the electorate, I believe we do have to make stances on issues. I think that is what voters care about. I think it would have helped with the school board. And I think part of that is also figuring out what issues matter throughout New Hanover County. I always use trust women as an example. The three women candidates, they ran on that, and it worked really, really well in some precincts and areas. It did not work really well in other precincts and areas where a housing message or affordability for jobs and transportation probably would have been more persuasive to turn out those voters. So I think it's really important that, A, we figure out which issues are important to the different areas of Wilmington and then how to engage those voters specifically on the issues that matter to them. 
So to your point, the school board, I have plenty of friends on the left who were disappointed with the election turnout. Even people throughout the state who, notably in such a purple county, you expect maybe a bit more of a mixed outcome. Um, Republicans swept for 2024. Is that something you're already thinking about? Yes. I mean, we're already changing the way we organize. We're organizing all year round. You know, we hear a lot. Democrats only knock on our doors 30 days before an election. And honestly, the main thing that I ran on and what I think is critical for us to succeed is to organize all year round and to be in the community all year round, not even in an overtly political way, but just to show voters, hey, we care about the same issues that you do. We're going to keep showing up. So then when we do knock on these doors that people know we care, it's not just asking for something from them, but we can help you make your lives better. I think both parties could be fairly criticized for being like, you know, parachute style electioneering uh, in that in that 30 day window. To that point, one of the communities we hear from a lot is um, the black community in, in Wilmington. And I have heard some criticism that the Democratic Party is, is either that Johnny come lately who shows up, you know, in August or, you know, September or October, um, but also that in part because maybe there hasn't been such specific policy points that uh, some of them have left for unaffiliated status. Now, certainly I've heard from very few people in Wilmington's inner city who have become Republicans, but they've become unaffiliated because they felt underrepresented. Uh, how do you think about that issue? I think it's totally valid. I think the numbers speak for themselves. Independents now make up 40% of New Hanover County, and we would be, quite frankly, stupid to not target and to engage with those voters I'm very much a political pragmatist. I believe politics is a math problem. And in order to win the math problem that is elections, we do need to appeal to independents, minorities, students. And this is also something that's incredibly important to me. I, Like I mentioned, I think it's important we're in the community all year round. So for example, I've already spoken to Sokoto House, to the LBGTQ Center, to the Northside Food Co-op about regular volunteer opportunities for Democrats all year round. So we can be in the community and reach these voters in a real sense, not in a transactional sense where we're asking for something, but because we are on their side all the time to show them these issues matter to us as well. I think that's that's a fair answer. All right. So the next election we're looking at is the city council election. Technically nonpartisan. But I don't think anyone actually believes that. Obviously, your counterpart, uh, your actually the previous counterpart in the GOP, uh, Will Connect, told me he started, I think he took one day off after the 2022 election and then started working on city council election. How do you look at Wilmington city council election? I mean, I think all the municipal elections are critical. Look, again, from the policies that they set to what is going on in the community itself in terms of making changes on a policy level and for Democrats to push those policies. Um, I, We are working on it already, too. We are engaging. We are building a candidate development committee so that our candidates do have a resources to turn to, whether it's previous people who have run for office, electeds, trainings available. We do want to support our candidates in a more comprehensive sense from the beginning to the end of the race and make sure the party is helping them by providing resources, volunteers, information that we learn from our deep canvases and whatnot. So we're definitely making a concerted effort to start. This started before the recent convention, and we were already working on this. Sure. Do you think Do you think the party thinks more about I guess, media savviness uh, these days than maybe, say, 10, 12 years ago. I mean, I think we need to think more about media savviness. I think it is something we've probably lacked in terms of messaging in general and a comprehensive kind of communication strategy. This is also something that we're working on closely. Um, 
Brunswick County Democratic Party has done a great job with communications and reaching local media. We had a meeting with them yesterday. And this is something we're building a communications committee, social media, to address these issues again all year round and target individual voters, whether it's independents, students, minorities, to expand the party and build capacity. Because I think the people we hear from, it, this, this is a very difficult needle to thread, so I give all politicians credit for this, is that on the one hand, they want clear, direct, consistent messaging that kind of resonates across the slate of candidates who are running for a given party, but they also don't like pre-manufactured, plasticky messaging that's, that feels corporate. Again, I think that it needs to be much more neighborhood specific. What works at the beach is very different than what works downtown. What we can't pretend that all communities, whether it is just students, whether it's Hispanics, whether it's blacks, whether it's independents, that all of them care about the same messaging or issues. So that is part of our plan is to go precinct by precinct, deep canvas it, figure out what issues matter to that neighborhood specifically, and then use that information to, again, support our candidates, figure out how to engage those voters on the things that matter to them specifically. Because it is a mistake to pretend any part of New Hanover County is monolithic or has the same views or prioritizes the same issues. So I think that is critical that we address it. The other question I wanted to ask you about, and this is back to that big tent idea, uh, not just in terms of you know maybe ethnicities or concerns, but also sort of where they land on the political spectrum. I've seen with the GOP that they, and I, I promise I'll I ask your counterpart the same question, they seem to have almost two parties, where they have a, a center-right party that is that ran candidates successfully for the board of commissioners. And put this delicately, further right candidates who ran for, successfully ran for the school board. There are certainly, you know, older school Clintonian Democrats um, and also people who are much more progressive. Are those conversations you guys have or do you sort of meet the candidate where they are and say, all right, how do we fit this into our picture? They are conversations that we're having now. I do think it's we do, as you said, have a big tent party. There are much more progressive and left-wing leaning people, and then there's much more moderate, traditional kind of business conservative Democrats, if you will. Um, but again, it's a math problem. So I need all of those people to come out and win elections. And my whole policy or fundamental philosophy about politics is building coalitions and bridges and finding some compromise between all of those groups. I'm somebody who would rather move the ball five yards at a time than wait for a 100-yard touchdown return that may never come. So that is something that I've worked very hard within our party itself to kind of bridge those gaps and differences to find issues and events and causes that we can all get behind that are not controversial within the party, but that are clear just democratic support issues so we can bridge and find more unity. Fair enough. So I think a lot of people are already talking about 2024. Asking you to look a little bit into the future and think about what some of the key issues might be in 2024 that your candidates are going to be staking their claim on. I mean, I definitely think women's rights and protecting access to health care, especially with the North Carolina Supreme Court and the General Assembly like it is without question. I think there's now concealed carry policy that's being batted around. I think that gun control is definitely something the party will be behind without question, continuing clean water and environmental and climate change concerns. Um, and generally speaking, the school board issues, whether it is transgender care, banning books, protecting kids in school. So I think those will be the main statewide and local issues you see that are coming up without question. Yeah, I think the, the school board race in 2024 will be very interesting. 
Very con- I think contentious would be a fair word that we yeah. could use. Um, hard fought, even. All right. So the last question I want to ask is about old people like me, <laughs> like me, um, who are are fairly well engaged. We we turn out to the polls, um, and when you look at who is showing up to, you know, put, basically put their life on hold and, and run for office. It is, it is older people. How do you recruit younger people to care about this? This is a great question <clears throat> and something I constantly have to balance because you're right, the older, especially the older moderates in our party, are very active. They show up to everything. They do turn out to vote. We must respect them. I need them to keep showing up like this. But we definitely need to reach young people. UNCW, I feel like, is an untapped resource that we've been trying very hard to tap into. They do have new leadership of the UNCW Dems, so we are engaging with them. We also got invited to the Port City Blitz. You said you like punk music, a punk music festival that's at Reggie's Beer Garden on May 13th. So we're tabling, it's mainly 25 to 45 year olds, independents and students. So we're doing a voter registration. We're gonna give away Dem swag. Everybody should come and join. But we are making a concerted effort. Part of it for me is also, I've been saying make politics fun again. In terms of it shouldn't just be phone banks and it shouldn't just be knocking on doors. Part of politics is the social aspect of it, is meeting people and networking and hanging out with your friends. So you want to do this harder lifting political work. And I think balancing that, having just social and networking events or community engagement barbecues, where we're not asking anything of anybody, just come and meet your neighbors and fellow Democrats and like-minded individuals, make friends, find professional connections, get to know your party, and then hopefully they will want to be more involved in a genuine, legitimate sense, which I welcome everybody to join the party and get involved. I think one of the one of the concerns I've heard from younger people that I know that have considered going to politics, whether that's on the organizational side or like the actual candidate side, is that, man, it would help if they had more free time. Um, the 40-hour work week doesn't generate the revenue it used to. I know a lot of people who now have their, their job and their side hustle and their side side hustle. And if you're considering a world in which you have to drive to Raleigh or even just be up at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Monday to go to, say, a Wilmington City Council agenda meeting, I mean, is that, is that a struggle to find people who can actually work that into their lives? I mean, without question, it's also the issue for voting. Some people just can't take off during voting hours. I do think it should be a national holiday. But with this, yes. I mean, school board meetings start at 5. Board of elections meetings start at 5.15. Start at 5 and go till like, whenever. Like, 3 a.m. Yeah. And, but, like, it is hard for people with regular 9 to 5s. My little brother, he lives with me. He has three jobs because one job just is not enough to support himself. He does not have the free time that I do, and he's much younger than me. I think that's a common problem now with all college students and not just students up to adult level I think it's definitely something that we have to accommodate them, have events at different times, on different days, in different places throughout New Hanover County, and make it as easy to engage as many different people as we can, particularly young people where we need them to turn out and expand the party. We need their hours. We need their insight, their perspective. They're a huge part of the Democratic Party nationally, and I wish that they were more of a part here, and that is one of my main goals as chair is to expand student and younger turnout without question. So I want to end on this note, uh, something we were talking about off mics beforehand, and that is the level of incivility. It's always been a part of politics. It feels nastier and more disconnected from a ground truth of late. And one of the things I often say as a journalist is, you know, may whatever God you believe in have mercy on the person who is willing to walk into that fray. Do you see us 
turning a corner here, or do you think it's just is twenty twenty four just going to be difficult? I mean, I would love to pretend I'm idealistic to the point that I hope that change is around the corner and we do go back to a civil tone or compromise. I'll use the Board of Elections and the Board of Education as an example. I might disagree with a lot of what the Republican can say on the Board of Elections, but everybody says it in a very civil manner where everybody in the audience is listening, it is calm, cool, and collected, and then you go to a Board of Education meeting and it is much angrier, rabid, tense, and less decorum and civility. I think the electeds themselves can do a better job with that. I also think the parties can. For me, it is just in my best interest and the party's best interest to find compromise and move that ball forward. So I believe you get more of what you want selfishly by coming to the table and working with somebody in good faith. I hope that the Republican Party, independents, whoever understands that about me. Like I will in good faith come and try to find compromise and find a solution where everybody can walk away a winner, even though obviously I will try for the edge to myself, but it needs to change. It needs to be more productive. This is a waste of everybody's time if nothing gets done and no progress is made. And we are just fighting amongst ourselves and our neighbors. And it is just, it is counterintuitive to why we all volunteer and do this. Fair enough. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. Jill Hopman, chair of the New Hanover County Democratic Party. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. All right. Well, we've got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll sit down with Jill Hopman's counterpart in the GOP, Nevin Carr. You're listening to The Newsroom. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Newsroom. I'm Ben Schachman. My guest now is Nevin Carr, the chairman of the New Hanover County Republican Party. Nevin went to school at UNCW and eventually located his family here in Wilmington, and he joins us now. Nevin, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me. So I want to start out, how do you think about your role leading the county party? Well, you know, uh, the local Republican Party is, it, it needs to be the uh, machinery for the conservative movement. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of great conservative organizations um, that do a lot of really great things. But at the end of the day, we all need to coalesce around one single entity. And uh, the Republican Party is that entity. And uh, my, my biggest goal is just to try to get the machinery running right and, and make sure that the conser- you know, conservative movement has a voice and a way to help uh, promote our agenda and our candidates. I think a lot of people think about the Democratic Party as being the big tent party, but there is certainly a diversity of conservative viewpoints. It's not a monolith. So I'm curious, what does conservative ideology or what, is, what do conservative values mean to you? Well, what, what's interesting is, is conservatism is actually not an ideology. Um, it, it's, it's really just, and I don't want to sound corny, but it really is just a way of life. It, it's, it's a thoughtful approach of, of looking at the world and looking at how you organize society, and, and ultimately how you can live in a system of self-government and try to remain free. Um, the conservative movement is a much bigger tent than people give it credit for. I mean, most people, once you sit down and, and you start scratching into some history and, and you dig back into a little bit of political philosophy, you begin to realize uh, most people are conservative, whether they call themselves that or not. And so the conservative movement and the Republican Party, they tend to take a, a bad rap. I mean, 
you know, you, you can't you can't hate the opposition for trying to do what they can to try to gain points for their own movement. But uh, the, the conservative movement, it's it's the movement that's been around since the founding of this country. It, it is the movement that is trying to, uh, you know, it's trying to save and restore our constitutional republic and, and help ensure that the opportunities that that us and our and our uh, ancestors had are, are going to be available for our children as well. Um, you, you know, just I like to talk about the circle of liberty. My entire life, the circle, my circle of liberty has gotten smaller, bit by bit, over my entire life. Every time there's a tax increase, every time there's a regulation spit out of the bureaucracy, and you know, ultimately, it's up to the Republican Party to try to start clawing back some of those liberties that we've lost and, and try to help set it up for the next generation. One of the reasons I, I ask my conservative-minded friends and colleagues about this idea is two recent races in 2022, You're the Board of Commissioners race and the Board of Education race. And Republican candidates did really well uh, in both races. But it felt to me like there was, I don't know, two different flavors of conservative thought going on there, or at least maybe manifesting in two different ways, because it definitely felt like the Board of Commissioners was sort of center-right, fiscal conservative, just the facts, man, pretty simple stuff. And there was much more fiery rhetoric with the Board of Education. And honestly, a lot of the people I met at the polls, they, they were there for the Board of Education. Like, that's what got them out. And then they voted ours down the ticket. Does that, to you, does that feel like two different groups of people or maybe just two different facets? Well, look, the conservative movement is a movement of individuals, very passionate, individual-minded thinking people. Uh, you're you're going to get a lot of people that have different ideas. Um, I, I mean, look, you know, when you look at the Democrat Party, you have to ask yourself, well, what does the Democrats stand for and who do they represent? All right. And we tend to see a modern Democrat Party that has strayed away from from, you know, the Democrat Party of John Kennedy, uh, where, where there where there was where you were allowed to have different ideas. You know, John Kennedy wanted to cut, cut taxes. And uh, nowadays, when you look at the Democrat Party, you, you see a much more homogeneous school of thought. And so people that want to have different ideas and want to be able to, to debate different things, the Republican Party is the only party now where you can do that without being canceled or ostracized. And, you know, we can have these fiery debates. And, and I mean, you know, that's what primaries are for. And, but, but at the end of the day, uh, when, when you step back and, and, you know, when conservatives, you know, no matter what, we tend to open up the aperture and we like to look at the bigger picture. And at the end of the day, we're all on the same page about what matters most. It is, it is restoring our constitutional republic. It's, it's trying to preserve self-government. You know, and, and, uh, and, but, but in that, you know, but then there's a million other things that we're going to disagree on. And, you know, that, that goes out into the open and, you know, you, Democrats get to laugh at us, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's probably fair. Quick, a quick note. I've always wanted to ask this, and I, I meant to ask your predecessor, Will Connect, this. Um, why do Republicans say Democrat Party instead of Democratic Party? I, I don't know. I, I guess uh, we're not as educated as uh, as Democrats are, and how we're supposed to address themselves. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, you know, our, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I will Google it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So moving on, um, I, I think it's fair to say Republicans were very successful in. 2022 at the local level, at the state level, uh, effectively a veto-proof uh, supermajority in the General Assembly right now. 
do you feel like the same strategy works for a race like, say, Wilmington City Council coming up? Well, look, you know, cons- conservatives by our nature, all right, we, we haven't been that good. We, we, haven't, we haven't done that well of paying, att- paying attention to what's going on in local government. Uh, we, we tend to we, we work hard. We spend time with our families. We, we cherish our free time. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's just civic engagement hasn't been on our list. Uh, but there's nothing that will get you engaged faster than when you, when, when you begin to feel that pinch of tyranny. I, I mean, you know, people throw that word around tyranny, right? But, but at the end of the day, when, when, when government does something to you um, against your will or they do something to your child against your permission – That'll get you up and that'll get you involved. I mean, that's how I got that, That's what got me up and got involved is I got tired of seeing my kid having to wear a mask to kindergarten every day after after the county mask mandate was lifted and the school board, the Democratic. Did I get that right? You did. OK, awesome. Um, you, you see, I'm a fast learner. You are. Um, the, the Democratic school uh, controlled school board um, uh, insisted on, to con- on continuing to mask my, my kindergartner. And that's just, you know, I, I mean, look, that that's tyranny, all right? And that got me involved, and that got the community involved. And sometimes it takes that pinch to get people up and get people moving and get people involved. And the nice thing is, is as a party, if we do our job right, once you get involved, you, you, hopefully we have things organized well enough for you to stay stay involved so that when we come around to the city council race, when, when the dynamics might be a little bit different, um, we, we still have a, a solid support group of volunteers that are, are going to help elevate good candidates to, you know, come in and help do what's best for the, you know, city of Wilmington. I definitely know people who were completely apolitical before the COVID pandemic. And between masking or vaccines or the closure of bars, uh, whatever it was, they got incredibly invested in local government I guess my question is, what, what are some of the issues that, say, you know, someone who's sitting on Wilmington City Council can actually impact? What, what do those issues resonate with you? Well, well, first of all, let me talk about the people that, that you mentioned that are just now getting involved. Um, you, you know, uh, we can call those people maybe conservative curious, all right? Because y- y- you tend not – most people if, that, that haven't been involved in politics, they, they just, you know, oh, I don't want to deal – you know, I, I, I don't care about politics. I'm not political. Right. No one's political until you until you get a, a kick across the mouth. Right. And then you start asking questions and you start looking at what matters and you start putting priorities together. You say and you start wondering, you say, hey, look, my taxes keep going up. Is this really that? Is that is this really necessary? Or there, there's some ridiculous building code that's out there. Like, I'm, you know, um, apparently if I build a doghouse in my backyard, I have to get a permit for that. You know, and, and you start looking at these things and you start asking the questions like, um, okay, well, what do I do if I if I want things if I want lower taxes or if I have a piece of property somewhere that I have a little bit more freedom to do what I want with it? You know, which party should I participate with? Because you got to, you know, the reality is, is third parties they they you know they don't win elections. You, you have to you have to get behind the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. And I think as people start to dig and they start to learn more. They start to realize the Republican Party is not everything that it's made out to be in the media. That there, they, you know, there are a vast, diverse, um, you know, group of people with different thoughts and different ideas. But but that at the end of the day, we're able to help come together. And the things that matter most to us, we all tend to agree on. 
I we should definitely note that technically, right, the city of Wilmington and election municipal elections are nonpartisan, but they're not really nonpartisan. I know your your predecessor will connect. I think he told me he took one day off after the 2022 election and then started thinking about the city council. Certainly the Democratic Party chair, Jill Hopman, is doing the same thing. So I have people tell me, like, but it's nonpartisan. But it's it's clearly you guys are the, the parties are helping to organize, to, to fundraise and to maybe even shape the agenda a little bit. <clears throat> Well, first of all, and uh, you, you mentioned Will twice now. I, I just want to give a quick shout out to Will and, and just what an amazing job he's he's done in four years. I mean, I've I've got some incredible shoes to try to fill, um, but Will just just did an a, an unbelievable job for the party, and and I uh, just want to give him a hat tip for that. You know, you're right. The 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 city council race is nonpartisan, and but the reality of it is, it, it is a political race, and and we do like to try to help. Um, per, you know, provide resources for candidates that we believe are, are going to uphold the values that we agree with. So I want to go back real quick to something you mentioned, the uh, conservative curious, which if you haven't trademarked that, you should. You know, it's funny. I just thought about that on my way over here. <laughs> and, um, you know, this is something I, I think every local party thinking about this right now is when you go to politically contentious events, I see people who are my age or older. And the struggle to get young people involved and invested, especially in local politics. I think it might be easier to rile people up and get them invested in something that feels like the fate of the nation, right? But what is what are your thoughts on on trying to recruit, you know, young conservatives or young conservative curious people to the party? So, so civic engagement is something that's just been lost uh, it, nowadays. I mean, I, I was guilty of this when I was younger. Uh, you know, where does the blame lie? I, yeah, you know, I, I don't know, but I, I start looking at the education system. And it, it was funny. It wasn't until after I graduated college, I realized I, I had no real, um, no real course, substantive coursework in, in the history of this country. Um, the, you know, you take a step back and, you know, there's a couple things to consider that, our, our country was formulated after thousands and thousands of years of failed societies. And we weren't just another society where some, uh, some guy that won some war stood up and grabbed the gun and said, hey, I'm in charge now, we're going to do things my way, right? It was a unique circumstance where people got together and said, let's do a root cause analysis of all these different failed societies in the past. I mean, I mean, you know, Greek and, and Rome, you know, these were republics, you know, in the ancient world. But, you know, in one of the Federalist Papers, um, you know, it was uh, I think Hamilton mentioned that, you know, the, the you know, it was still it was still horrendous. They, they would oscillate between tyranny and anarchy. A republic that can appoint a dictator is not a great case study. Right, right. right. So, so, so you, you get these guys and they sit down and and they they look at all the all the thousands of years of mistakes and they say, what what can we do to try to avoid this? And then, and then they start uh, looking at um, other philosophers like Charles de Montesquieu, who, who probably articulated better than anybody the uh, you know system of checks and balances between the judiciary and the executive and, and the legislator. And they got together and said, "Well, what can we if we want if the goal here is to try to create a society uh, where people can govern themselves and try to remain you know it, you know as free as they can you know under the under the rule of law." So it was funny. Of all things, it was actually a Tea Party group. And I know Tea Party was a bad word, right? You know, it was, you know, it was supposed to be a bunch of crazy right-wing extremists, right? And, and so I started participating in the Tea Party back around 2008. 
And what drew me in there was they were holding these classes on the Federalist Papers, on the Constitution. It, it really, I wasn't getting anything shoved in my face. It was just saying, you know, hey, here's the history of the country. Here's, here's how we came to be. Here's what, what the vision was. And here's what's ha- taken place over the last, I mean, really over the last 100, 120 years is, is when we've really accelerated away from our constitutional republic. And so kids aren't being taught this in school nowadays, right? So, you know, kids come out of school, they come out of high school, and what, what are their priorities? You know, what, you know, what are they being fed on, you know, uh, TikTok and YouTube? And, and you know, look, uh, frankly, what's, what's the Democratic Party trying to feed them? And, and so when the kids come out of school and they're walking around and they're not, they don't care about politics, well, I guess the Democratic Party did a good job on those kids. And it's up to us to try to help open their eyes and say, look, there's more to the story here. You guys haven't been told everything. Let us, you know, come, I mean, look, one of the things we're going to be doing that I'm really excited about up at our Republican Party headquarters is we're going to be offering those same types of classes. Um, uh, you know, using curricula from Hillsdale College. There's some great resources with the, the teaching company. And, and we have some, some really, really solid people here to help teach these courses. But we, we just want people to know the, their history and, and, and know what they've inherited and know what they have to lose and be able to and, and then make and then make a decision on what you want to do. Um, you know, look, like I said before, the, the Democratic Party, it's it's not it, Things are changing. Power is being concentrated in the Democratic Party. All right, uh, that that bill that they tried to pass a couple years ago, a HB one or whatever, that was trying to stack the Supreme Court, add more senators, you know, from D.C. and Puerto Rico. These are efforts to try to concentrate power and try and and, and become a one party country. I think we could do a whole other show about whether or not Sorry. Puerto Rico. Oh. Puerto Rico <laughs> I don't know. To me, if you're an American citizen and you can't vote for president and your congressional rep can't vote in Congress, that uh, that feels fundamentally wrong. I mean, that feels unconstitutional. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, but we, put a pin in that. We can come back yeah. and, and debate uh, Puerto Rican sovereignty. But I, I take your point. Right. And, uh, yeah. Sorry for being long winded. No, it's fine. But, um, I, I will say I went to, you know, a public school in a, in a fairly buttoned up, reasonably conservative town and it was also a fairly underwhelming education <laughs> um you know I, I couldn't balance a checkbook i couldn't cook i couldn't fix a tire i also knew very little about the constitution um i knew way too much about math that i have not used um i can trigonometry my way out of a paper bag if that's any if that's any consolation but i think i hear what you're saying is that reaching people through kind of getting them interested in the roots of conservative thought. Well, it's the root of American culture. You know, if I may, I brought, I was hoping I might have a chance to slide a little quote in here. Sure. Um, so uh, uh, Calvin Coolidge. Did you ever learn about Calvin Coolidge in I, school? I did learn about Cal, Silent Cal. Okay. I, so I, I never even knew who Calvin Coolidge was until about like 15 years ago. And, uh, and so Calvin Coolidge gives this, this famous speech on the 150th, anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. And what's so interesting about it is he mentions in here, they, they, they're dealing with the same problem back then, uh, this is in 1926, that, that, we're, that, we, it, that we hear today, that the ideas of the Constitution, the ideas of the Declaration, that these are old ideas, right? We need things for a new modern society. You know, it's an outdated document. I mean, when I was in high school, they kept talking about a living and breathing Constitution, right? I mean, so, so he says this, right? Um, Bear with me for a second here. Um, He says, about the Declaration, there is a finality that is exceedingly restful. 
It's often asserted that the world, the world has made a great deal of progress since 1776, that we've had new thoughts and new experiences, which, has give, which have given us a great advance over the people of that day, and that we may therefore very well discard their conclusions for something more modern. But that reason, reasoning cannot be applied to this great charter. If all men are created equal, that is final. If they are endowed with inalienable rights, that is final. If governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed, that is final. No advance, no progress can be made beyond these propositions. If anyone wishes to deny their truth or soundness, the only direction in which he can proceed historically is not forward, but backward, towards a time when there was no equality, no rights of the individual, no rule of the people. Those who wish to proceed in that direction cannot lay claim to progress. They are reactionary. Their ideas are not more modern, but more ancient than those of the revolutionary fathers. So, you know, my point is, is that there's a lot of thought that went into this, uh, you know, 250 years ago. And, and so when we come out of school and we don't have an appreciation for what that thought is. And then we start coming up with ideas of, of what we want to do to fix modern problems without without taking into consideration, you know, what we might be risking if we're not careful in the process. Fair enough. I will say it's taken us a long time to live up to the spirit of those words. I mean, Calvin Coolidge wrote that at a time when there were separate drinking fountains. Well, he also wrote that after uh, a, the bloodiest you know, war in American history where 800,000 Americans died. And, and actually, you know, that was after a time, you know, it's funny enough, the Republican Party, I, I mean, I'm sure you know this, right? The, yes. The Republican Party was, the, it was an abolitionist party that was formulated specifically to try to stop democratic slavery. I, I mean, that's, you know, so, so look, when, when you have these great leaps and bounds, I mean, look at the history of, of slavery. I mean, look, there was the last country in the world to outlaw slavery was it was some country in Africa in like 1981. Right. All right. I, I will say um, I don't think you can draw a straight through line of the Republican Party in the Coolidge era and the Democratic Party in the Coolidge era till now. I think the parties have both changed substantially. There's there's been changes, but but look, there, there's still there's a lot of similarities too. They're not they're not completely different than what they were back. Then. That is fair. Is fair. Um, so all right, here's here's my last question for you. Talking about the founding fathers, who who I do admire and whose words, however problematic, I think, far surpass the quality of those of the monarchists and the dictator enablers, and I think it is worth respecting them. I think that one of the things we we admire about them was a kind of civility. They occasionally shot each other, but by and large, they were able to debate really important ideas passionately in an open forum. And we were talking off mics about this, but I, I, I feel like we've lost that a little bit. Well, you know, it, it's, it's really hard to say. And it's funny because when, when you go back and you start uh, reading some, some more you know, original documents, like Madison says, man sat down and shorthanded the entire debates of the entire Constitutional Convention. And, uh, and then you start reading some of the letters, um, like between uh, Jefferson and Adams' letter, and, uh, you know, John Adams' letters. They were getting pretty gnarly with each other. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, like you said, I mean, Alexander Hamilton was like in a duel. Maybe it was a little bit more civilized back then, and, and maybe there's a chance that sometime in the future it can be like that again. But, but at the end of the day, there, there's certain, you know, there, there, are, there are certain ideas, you know, like we can have a civilized discussion over ideas still don't have such a massive impact on like the opportunities my kids are going to have 20 years from now. Like we can have a civilized conversation about that. But it's harder to have a civilized conversation when you sit down and you start 
trying to advocate for all the things that are absolutely going to, you know, you know, end up, you know, putting my kids back into servitude. I mean, I I can tell you, I have had people on the more liberal side of the spectrum say the same thing about laws they feel that impact them. So I think you would actually agree, at least on the note that when it impacts you personally, especially when it impacts your children, it's difficult to keep it buttoned up. It, right. Well, the, the children for sure. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't want to sound cliche, but, you know, it's all about the children. And and, and I think that's why you saw such a mat, I just, you know, such a, a wave for the school board. Well, I think that brings us full circle. And uh, I think that's a good place to leave it. So Nevin Carr, chairman of the New Hanover County Republican Party. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you, Ben, very much. I appreciate it. All right. Well, we need to take another quick break. But when we come back, we will have excerpts from our interview with Dane Scalise, who was recently appointed to the New Hanover County Board of Commissioners. You're listening to The Newsroom. Stay with us. Welcome back to the newsroom. I'm Ben Schachman. Last week, Dane Scalise sat down with us for his first WHQR interview since being appointed to the New Hanover County Board of Commissioners. And we had a long, wide-ranging conversation getting into policy issues like economic development, housing, public transportation, and public safety. And if those things concern you, and if you're listening to this show, I have to imagine that they do, I recommend checking out that interview. You can find it as a full episode of The Newsroom at whqr.org or wherever you usually find this show as a podcast. But since we had a little time left on this episode, I wanted to play two clips from that conversation. First up, Scalise reflected on his relationship with Commissioner Deb Hayes and her role in public service before her unexpected death earlier this year, which led to his appointment. What better and more appropriate way to start than talking about my friend Deb Hayes? Deb and I developed a a pretty deep friendship over the years, primarily through our mutual passion for volunteering in the community and particularly volunteering in downtown Wilmington. We both served for any number of years together on Wilmington Downtown Incorporated's board and its executive committee From 2019 to 2021, I served as chair of the organization. Deb was vice chair, and then she immediately after my term ended became chair. We we both believe that the community is best served whenever there are people who are willing to step up and donate their time, donate their talents to the betterment of the public, and our nonprofits are a very good way for many folks in the community to go about doing that. We both saw WDI and other nonprofits as an excellent vehicle for achieving just that. The natural next step for Deb certainly was her running for office, and she ran a couple of times, ran for city council, and was eventually successful in her campaign for county commissioner. Right from the very beginning, she was successful, and she was successful because she worked really hard. She was everywhere, but it's not just that. She listened to people. If you knew Deb, you knew that you could reach out to Deb. She would get back to you immediately, sometimes late at night, sometimes early in the morning. 
That's how she was with everybody, though, not just me. If you were a member of this community, Deb extended that same courtesy to you. So whenever the sad news came around to me the morning after she had died, I was in shock. I was in shock because I was just with her a couple of days beforehand. We were texting one another, I think, until about midnight that last time that we spoke. And her last words to me were, if I remember correctly, I will always be there for you. It's a pretty heavy thing to have to carry forward. I um, I don't know how I'm going to be able to fill Deb's shoes. People have asked me about that. I can't. Let me just go ahead and say that. I won't be able to fill her shoes. She was her own person with her own talents, her own abilities, her own passions. But again, she worked hard and she cared deeply about being a public servant. And I'm going to do everything that I can in finding myself unexpectedly in this position to work hard and dedicate my time and talent to the public in her memory. Here is the second excerpt I wanted to play. After talking for most of an hour, Scalise was still game for a lightning round of sorts. Thinking about the county, what keeps you up at night? Um, coming to WHQR to interview with Ben Shotman, just, just teasing. Um, what keeps me up at night is the men and women and children who make up our community and the lives that they lead. We have 240,000 people that live in our county approximately. Everybody's got their own approach to life and they're facing difficulties. They're elated by some exciting thing that happened to them. Their kids are sick. They lost their job. They got a new job. I want this county to be a place where everyone has opportunity. I want there to be a fair shake and a fair chance for everybody, all of those people that I just said. And how can I help effectuate that? I don't know quite yet, Ben. I know that I'm going to be fair and equitable in my approach to each and every matter that comes across the dais in my votes and in my consideration. But that's what I think about because as a person, I think a person that I would consider myself to be of a high degree of empathy I imagine myself in my life, and then I think about where someone else is, and I want them to have, have opportunities that I've had, and how can I help to effectuate that? that? That's what keeps me up at night. You mentioned this has been a surprise for you. Yes. So maybe everything about this has been a surprise. But I was going to ask, you know, what has surprised you most about your new role as a county commissioner? Actually, this is going to sound a little bit weird maybe, but nothing in my life has changed. I feel like the exact same person that I was prior to becoming a county commissioner. Now, that's not to say that I'm not taking this seriously, but I have been community-oriented and obsessed with working on behalf of the community since I first moved here in 2012. I love this community, and this is where I'm going to spend absolutely the rest of my life. The opportunity, as surprising as it was, to be impactful in a new way really was just an extension of what I felt like I was already trying to do as a member of this community. I, I don't wake up and say to myself, oh, Dane, you're, you're county commissioner. I'm just a public servant. I have a title. It's one that I didn't expect to have. But it is something that ultimately gives me the opportunity to continue the work of public service that's deeply important to me. To that end, last question. One thing, one deal you could seal, one project you could get approved, 
one issue you could move the needle on? What would it be? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> well, I guess what I would, I mean, this is going to sound also ridiculous, but I would love for us all to just get along, Ben. Uh, if I can show folks that despite our differences that may exist, we all have the same desire to live a good, healthy life. If my role as county commissioner can help demonstrate to folks that being a pure partisan is not interesting to me, it's not something that I want to do. It's something that is a necessary function of government. You, you have to be aligned with a, a political party. And I'm a proud Republican. I'm a proud conservative. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But those are just aspects of my life. I am a whole person in addition to those things. And I would like for us all to look at one another as whole people. So this is a bit of a ethereal philosophical concept. I know you're probably asking me to give you a, a development project or a school, but I, I would rather say I, I want us to, to be sweeter to each other. Uh, we've got to be sweet. And that's something that I'm going to try to demonstrate in the work that I do on the commission. Dane Scalise, sir, thank you so much for your time. Ben Chapman, thank you for your time. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of The Newsroom. Thanks to our guests, Jill Hopman, Devin Carr, and Commissioner Dane Scalise. Thanks also to our technical team, Ken Campbell, Jonathan Fernell, and Megan McDevitt. If you missed any part of this program or want to check out the full interview with Dane Scalise, including plenty of policy talk, you can find episodes of The Newsroom at whqr.org or as a podcast, pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts. If you have thoughts, comments, or ideas for a future show, you can reach us at newsroom at whqr.org. I'm Ben Schachman. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next edition of The Newsroom.